Good evening. Certainly good to see everyone as we bring this Lord's Day to a close. Thank you for being here. As always, we have visitors among us, and we invite you back at any opportunity you might have in the future. I apologize at the outset for my voice. I'm fighting sinus conditions, and my voice is trying to give out on me, but hopefully we will get through our lesson tonight. If you would be turning your Bibles to the book, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15 is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight together. If you were here uh, last time I presented a lesson here from this pulpit last month, I challenged us to be real in this new year of 2018 using the acrostic of the word real, R-E-A-L. And I want to kind of use that as a basis for our discussion, our lesson tonight, as well as we talk about seeking the lost. Let's be real in seeking the lost. As by way of review, you remember, we used the word real and assigned a different word to each of the beginning letters. And we want to use that as our beginning point tonight as we consider seeking the lost. Let's be revived in our concern for the lost. Do we care about the lost? How about the issue of indifference? Oftentimes we are content with our belief and our understanding of God's Word and what we're supposed to do in worship and all those things, but we, are, we find ourselves, I'm afraid sometimes, and I'm speaking about myself primarily, we develop an indifference to the world. We just say, well, they've got their religion, they're comfortable in what they're doing. Let's just decide to agree to disagree. That's what we call the issue of indifference. Another question for us to consider is, do we believe the lost are truly lost? You know, this politically correct world that we live in, where people believe that they can't, that you shouldn't judge anybody on their character, anything that they do, their actions, their lifestyle, anything in that regard. I think oftentimes, and I'm afraid that we sometimes, we probably wouldn't say it, but oftentimes we may think, well, they're okay. So let us consider the question, are the, do we believe the lost are truly lost? Let's be encouraged in our efforts to reach the lost. It is a necessary and vital undertaking for the New Testament Christian to reach out to the lost. You remember Jesus, we call it the Great Commission. Mark's account, found in Mark 16, 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That was the commission that Jesus gave shortly before he left this world. It isn't always pleasant. We recognize that. We may lose some friends. We may lose some family, and etc. along the way in trying to reach the lost. Thirdly, let's be authentic in our attitude toward the lost. We must recognize our own shortcomings, I believe. Often we can use our personal experiences, our personal struggles to help other people in their struggles. It's been said, maybe you've heard it, I heard it one time and I wrote it down because it meant something to me, it was significant. The saying was, your past can be your monster or your mission. Think about that for a second. Your past can be your monster or your mission. Monster from the aspect of it can keep you down. It can stay there and 
gnaw at you, keep you from doing what God would have you do, or it can be your mission. You can use that difficulty of your past that you've struggled through and made it through and help other people. The L in our word real there was looking like Jesus. Must look like Jesus did as he went about seeking the lost. You know, Luke 15 is one of the most well-known parables of our Lord Jesus. You know, he effectively used parables, earthly stories with heavenly meanings to teach great lessons about faith and, and other things that he wanted to get across to people. Look there in verse 3 of Luke 15. We're going to eventually look at this entire chapter, but verse 3 says, So he told them this parable. Told them this parable. Notice the, ne- the text does not say that Jesus told three parables or four parables, however you, depending on how you want to break things up. This is one long parable. Notice the connective words there in verses 8 and 11, the words or and the word and. The three stories are one long parable and need to be kept together to see the main point Jesus was trying to make. You know, we've all heard sermons and used these, this text in, really in three or four different parts, haven't we? To get lessons across. And I don't think there's a problem with that, but I think in context of us looking at the real objective Jesus was trying to get across here, we need to look at the and look at it in its entirety in one continuous parable. Tonight I'll use the word story off and on. I don't do that to in a flippant nature. I don't do that to, to say that it it's, can be true or it can be false, like oftentimes stories that we hear. I just use that to kind of describe it in a way that we can understand it. But this is totally true and it's totally believable. And Jesus used this parable, if you will, to teach some wonderful lessons. Point number one tonight. Let's think for a moment about the cause of the parable. Before we dive into any parable, I think we need to observe the occasion of the parable. When the occasion of the parable is missed, the point of the parable is easily missed as well. Luke 15, verse 1, beginning, and I'm reading from the the English Standard Version. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, talking about Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Luke 15, there, 1, tells us the tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus to listen to him teach. Think about that. What a terrific outcome. People that needed to hear God's word were coming to hear the master teacher. But verse 2 tells us that the Pharisees, those religious elite, the religious leaders, were complaining. Because Jesus was attracting sinners, tax collectors. This supposed teacher sent from God is welcoming and accepting these type people. And they didn't like that. They sought to complain and to cast ridicule because of that. Let's consider how Luke is connecting an important theme in this part of his gospel. You remember back in Luke 14, the story is told of a great feast. The king put out the invitation to a great feast. 
And the people he invited, for whatever reason, didn't come. So he sends his servants out into the streets, into the hedges, to get people to come to this feast. This is recorded in Luke 14, verse 23. The message there is God does not want people to be lost. God will make the offer to all people to enter his kingdom, to a relationship with the Father. This is the cause of the parable. The religious leaders are complaining about Jesus welcoming sinners to hear him teach. You know, you're familiar enough with Luke 15 to know that there are three different instances in which he tells in his story. Let's consider the lost sheep. The first movement of the parable concerns a lost sheep. This is recorded in verses 3 through 7. Verse 3 there says, So he told them this parable. What, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes again home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Notice the key point. The key point being who doesn't call together, excuse me, I'm sorry, the observation of the story, getting ahead of myself. Who doesn't go after the lost sheep? The one who's lost. The key point being, who doesn't call together his friends and neighbors for rejoicing when it's found? In the same way, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. If you really think about this, this is a, this is a big deal to God, I believe. It's a big deal to God. God wants people to be in his kingdom. God wants people to be saved. He does not want anyone to be lost. Therefore, there is cheering and rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents. The second movement in the parable concerns a lost coin. Pick up our reading there in verse number 8. Luke 15, 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Notice the observation of this particular piece of the story. Who doesn't go after the one who's lost? The key point being, who doesn't call together their friends and neighbors for rejoicing? In the same way, Jesus says there's much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. In the third movement of this parable, we read about the lost son. We oftentimes call him the prodigal son. Jesus had told the first two stories to set up set us up with some expectations, I believe, for how this third part of this parable will go. Let's read together verses 11 through 24. 
And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of poetry, or excuse me, property, that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Let's pause there for a moment. What this son did was awful, wasn't it? Asking for your inheritance is telling your father that you wish he was dead. Because it just didn't work that way. The inheritance usually came after the parent was deceased. What you're saying, I think, in essence, is that you have no interest in a relationship with the father. You just want the money he can give you. I think no doubt there is, this is in every person. Every person has been rebellious toward God at one point in time or another. Every person has used God for the blessings that he offers, often with no desire for a relationship with him. We want life. We want possessions. We want wealth. We want relationships. But oftentimes not the God who gives these things. We want the benefit without the effort. This young man was living a reckless life, Scripture tells us. Consider that any type of life that's living apart from the relationship with the Father is reckless living. It's reckless living. We're throwing away every, all the blessings that the Father can give us. We're doing that through our wild lifestyle. But we know that's not the end of the story. The next scene is great in, it, in that it's a story of repentance. Again, pick up our reading there in verse number 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 17, I like especially well. Beautiful words that the inspired writer Luke says here. But when he came to himself, reality finally strikes, and he realizes what he's done. He realizes what he has said to his father. He realizes he is wasting his life in foolish living. Notice the humility that he exhibits here when he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know something? This must happen for all of us, for all people. We must come to ourselves when we're living a life of sin. We must humble ourselves before God, realizing that He is God and we're not, and that we need His salvation. Oftentimes we find ourselves sitting figuratively with pigs when we could be sitting at the Father's table. 
I think repentance obviously is recognizing the error of our ways and turning back to the Father in humility. This is what this young man does. Based on what we read in the first two movements when we talked about the lost sheep and the lost coin, what is going to happen or what's going to be the reaction of the Father based on what we know already? The first two parts of the story showed both seeking the lost sheep and the lost coin and rejoicing when the sheep or the coin was found. We know what we're going to read with the father of the lost son who comes back. Look at verse number 20. Luke 15, 20. And he, the young man, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Can you see the father's love in that? event there you know we at at past times in all of our lives from time to time we fall away or we are not as faithful as we should be when we come to ourselves and come back home can you picture that God standing there waiting welcoming us back but just think about he didn't he didn't just show up there when we decided to come back he had always been there he had always been there, waiting, hoping, anticipating, looking down that road for that lost one to come home. It's a wonderful picture. It's a wonderful concept. And I'm so glad that Jesus included it here for us. In these three examples from Luke 15, Jesus shows us who God is and how he feels about lost people. Really, this should be the end of the parable. However, it's not. And the reason is because the religious leaders are complaining at him because he's welcoming sinners. Let's consider together point number five in our lesson, that of the older son. Verse number 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed a fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, that's the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when you're this this son of yours, I like that phraseology, this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fat you've killed the fatted calf for him.
What was the reaction of the older son when he heard the news that his brother had returned? He was angry, wasn't he? He didn't like the, this, the outcome. Verses 29 and 30 that we read there gives us the reason. The problem is that he doesn't think he's received anything like what the younger son has received. He asks the question, basically, what have you done for me? What have you done for me? I've been here. I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do, but yet you haven't done anything for me. I think he's thinking, oftentimes as many people do, selfishly. He's thinking about himself and stubbornly refuses to enter because these sinners are entering into the kingdom of the Father. But you know something? I love the Father's response. Look there in verse number 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The sheep that was lost and was found. Therefore celebration takes place. The coin that was lost and was found. Therefore celebration takes place. The lost soul was lost and was found. Further, he was dead, but now is alive. He was eternally lost, separated from God, but he is now alive. He has been restored. Life has been returned to him. It is time to celebrate. As we kind of bring this to a close, notice some things, some applications, I think, that Jesus is trying to teach here from the aspect of seeking the lost. Jesus welcomes sinners. Do we welcome sinners? Do we look at sinners with disdain like the Pharisees did? Or do we welcome them? I hope that we welcome them. In the parable, we see three times the seeking of that which was lost. Not only do we welcome sinners, but we must seek the lost. That's an active seeking. It's not just a passive thing that we do when it's convenient or when it's easy. God goes to great effort to seek the lost. He sent His Son to die for our sins. He spares the world of judgment because He wants everyone to be saved. He wants the lost to return. In the parable we see three times celebration that is appropriate and fitting because the lost has returned. The dead have come to life. We must celebrate when the lost come to the Lord. The song that we sang earlier that I asked Don to, to lead for us into our hands, the gospel is given. Verse 3 there says, Souls that are precious, souls that are dying, while we rejoice, our sins are forgiven. Did he not also die for these lost ones? Then let us point the way unto heaven. You know, we are the most blessed people in the world because we are New Testament Christians. Having done the things that the Bible prescribes for us to do to be added by the Lord to His, His body, His church, His kingdom. But we need to be having an attitude of wanting to share that joy, those blessings, and all those things that we, that we love as being a Christian with the lost. And that, again, it takes on a lot of different forms. But let us have the attitude 
Let us have the love, the compassion for the lost that Jesus did, that God does, so that we can use our abilities that God has given us, our influence in this world, to reach the lost. Let's be real in seeking the lost. Tonight, if you're here, not a Christian, you are in a lost state. I say that as lovingly and with as much compassion as I can muster. I know that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Based on that belief, would you not be willing to make a change? Repent of your sins, repent of your way of living, just like that prodigal son did. He came to himself realizing the sin that he had engaged himself in, the lifestyle that he was living. Confess the wonderful name of Christ before this group and continue to confess Him every day in the way that you live your life. Be baptized in water, meeting the cleansing blood that washes sins away. Acts 2 and verse 47 says, The Lord will add you to His church. As a Christian, we are admonished by Christ and the other New Testament writers to behave. There's a certain way we have to live as Christians in order to maintain our relationship with God. John would say, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with the Father, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. There's a way we have to behave. Jesus said, If you're faithful unto death, I will give you a crown of life. We also have to broadcast. That means spread the gospel. The message of the gospel to those that need to hear it. We live in a world that needs to hear it today. You know that as well as I do. Would you not do your part in spreading that gospel message to the world so that we can bring the lost in, so that there can be much rejoicing in heaven? If you're here as a Christian, maybe you've allowed the world to creep back into your life and take hold. Maybe there's a public sin that is known that needs to be taken care of that way. God, just like that father in the parable, is standing there waiting, watching, hoping, anticipating your arrival back home. He's faithful and just to forgive you of anything that you have done against Him. If you're willing to repent of those things, you will be restored to your rightful place at the Father's table once again. The lesson is yours. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come as we stand, as we sing?